Um, it's nice uh, to meet again in the house of the Lord. And um, again, congratulations, William. Uh, remember those 41 years ago, uh, before our brother got married, and as the days were growing near, uh, we were saying amongst ourselves as youths, uh, young brothers to this big brother, uh, this lady coming to take over from us, who is she? And um, uh, where are we going to find our place when she takes over? Uh, because his house was like a nest for many of us. Uh, we met there and uh, ate the food and did everything that we wanted. Now that there was someone who was going to be in charge, that became a nightmare for us. But thankfully when she came in, she, I think, was able to fit into our um, net, you know, our net and, um, uh, and, and, and collaborated with us very well. So well done, I'm able for having withstood our, our nuisance uh, all these days. Um, at the time, our brother was uh, a beast uh, in his speech to us. So all he would do is just shout, hey, hey, hey. So when you hear me shout, it's late from him. <laughs> He's my lecturer and teacher, I've been a faithful student. Let's look to the Lord in prayer, let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of your word, and we thank you that your word is a light onto our feet and uh, a lamp onto our path. And as we open the pages of it and read from it and see what you have for uh, us in store, we pray that the Spirit of God himself will be our teacher, that you open our hearts, that we may behold the great and wonderful things that are in your law. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the privilege that is ours, is to do. Now abide with us. We do pray and ask in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So thank you very much again for those uh, of you that uh, spent uh, a night or spent a day or a time uh, in prayer for me. I'm uh, extremely very grateful and I owe it to your support. This morning we continue on with uh, the subject that we've been looking at. Uh, in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew and chapter 23, and we read the verses, verses 29 through to verse 39. Matthew and chapter 23, and we read verses 29 through to verse 39. I hope we are there, Matthew chapter 23. <coughs> Matthew 23, and I commence reading verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measures of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? They said, For therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. 
that upon you may fall the guilty of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the sons of Barakai, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I said to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, dear saints and friends, I know that in the last Sundays, the last three Sundays, we've been considering uh, the subject of hypocrisy, and so far we have looked at um, the hypocrisy in serving God. Um, we have also looked at the hypocrisy in serving God um, uh, while failing to serve one another. And uh, the last Sunday, we were trying to tackle the question uh, which was being asked, are you surely a Christian and not just a hypocrite? This morning, uh, we uh, continue uh, to look at the subject uh, that is before us, which is the subject of the wars uh, of hypocrisy. And um, having looked at uh, um, uh, this subject in the last uh, um, uh, verses, as it were, uh, this morning we proceed to look at what we shall call the seventh war. We've so far looked at the seven, uh, I mean, the eighth wars. Uh, we've so far looked at the seven wars which the Lord declares. The Lord has pronounced upon the Pharisees, and the Lord has pronounced the seven wars upon the scribes, and the Lord has also pronounced the seven wars upon the Sadducees. Those wars that the Lord pronounced, obviously, were not just for the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. These seven wars that have been looked at so far equally stretch to us. This morning, friends, we are looking at the eighth war, um, which have seen to be one of the most solemn wars uh, that the Lord Jesus ever declared on mankind. It is one of those extremely solemn wars that the Lord declared not only to the leaders of the day, um, the same leaders of Israel, uh, but these wars are also applicable and unfortunately this solemn war is attached to all humankind, regardless of race, regardless of age, and regardless of gender. So this morning uh, we look at one of the most extremely um, uh, uh, solemn wars that the Lord pronounces on the human race. And we are seek to see this um, uh, statement uh, unfolded during our time together uh, from the verses that are before us. And for easier remembrance, uh, the subject of our consideration this morning, which I simply call it the most solemn wars ever declared by God on humankind. The most solemn wars ever declared by God on humankind. 
these words um, uh, invite all of us to really scrutinize our minds and see whether we too have passed the test in each area of um, uh, the words that are in the passage. So uh, what we look at this morning is the most solemn uh, words. And what I'm saying to us is these solemn words, and particularly the last um, eight uh, war here, which is the most solemn war. Uh, what I'm saying to us is that this solemn war requires each one of us to scrutinize ourselves and see if God is not surely speaking to us in the last solemn war. We must take stock because the Lord in this war, that is the last war that we've seen here from verses 29 through to verse 39, the Lord pronounces, he makes a very serious pronouncement and ultimately at the end of these words, he pronounces or he makes a pronouncement of doom. In other words, um, you know, what we see is that if we ignore this war, the last war that we see in these verses, doom awaits for us. And that's why I am calling it the most solemn words that the Lord ever pronounced on humankind. By considering this war, the last war, the last war must ultimately, it must ultimately be the game changer for each one of us. We ought to scrutinize ourselves in the light of these words, and I'm hoping and praying that at the end of our time together, this last war will surely be a game changer for each one of us. So we pray that the Lord grants us uh, mercy as we look at uh, this war um, uh, that the Lord uh, declares from verse 29. So let me invite us therefore to get back to the passage and see these solemn words and see what lessons the Lord has for us in these uh, very, very solemn words that he declares in these verses. So let's get back to verse 29 again. This is what the Lord says. War to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you built the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. Now, the Lord called, calls us to be uh, careful uh, with um, um, what I've called the religious or religion which leads to window dressing. The, the Lord in this war is having to invite us. He's having to invite us to be very careful with religion which leads to basically window dressing. And what we have in this verse <clears throat> is, you know, we have a conduct of the leaders of the day. And, uh, you know, these leaders, what these leaders of Israel did was that they preoccupied themselves. They preoccupied themselves, as scripture is saying, preoccupied themselves in building tombs uh, for the prophets and also having to adore these uh, monuments. So they built uh, graves and decorated the graves and spent quite a lot of their efforts and their religious energies, as it were, in doing acts of that nature. Now, the question that we need to ask is, where do they draw, first of all, uh, where, they are, where do they draw their mandate uh, for these graves that were uh, building and decorating? Well, when we get to the Old Testament in the book of Second uh, Kings and chapter 23, and from verse 17 through to 19, 
the Lord uh, gives instructions uh, through Joshua. And through Joshua, the Lord basically forbids this same habit of having to build uh, tombstones or having to build you know, uh, these monuments over, uh, over the graves. And maybe specifically to read that verse, let me just take us to Second uh, Kings, Second uh, Kings, and chapter uh, uh, chapter twenty three and verse seventeen. That's what the Lord Himself says with regard to the habit that uh, these leaders had employed themselves into. This is what the Lord says with regard to uh, that habit. Second Kings and chapter twenty three, and we uh, read the verses um, uh, from the sixteen. Listen what the scripture says. Now when Joshua turned, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones from the graves and bent them onto the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these things. Then he said, what is this monument that... I see. And the man of the city told him, It is a grave of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one disturb the bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophets who came from Samaria. What basically we see here is, uh, you know, um, uh, that uh, instructions to never disturb the uh, graves as it were, but leave the bones alone where they lie. Do not disturb them, so Joshua um, uh, says. And yet in this uh, um, uh, time of the leaders of Israel, the leaders of Israel were preoccupied with themselves. They preoccupied themselves with having to uh, build uh, these um, uh, 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 tombs and also having to adorn uh, the monuments. In other words, spending the energies where the energies must not be spent, as it were. Um, you know, these leaders were busy with the things that mattered the least. They ought not to have been spending and wasting their time building these uh, tombs. Now, what even makes it more a fallacy is this. That although these leaders appear to be respecting the bonds of the prophets, these prophets, when they lived during their times, were murdered um, by the fathers of these same leaders of the time. These prophets were murdered. They were pursued to death. These prophets, as it were, were treated as objects of dishonor. And yet... All of a sudden, these leaders now begin to kind of window dress, to begin to portray a picture, to create an impression that they have uh, respect for uh, these prophets that had been murdered. That's, that's a fallacy. You know, that's a contradiction. You know, during the day of the prophets, there were a nothing before Israel. And these prophets were pursued. These prophets were killed. They were put to death. They were object of dishonor. And suddenly these leaders appear to be creating an impression of respect towards the prophets, who, which the prophets were not respected by their forefathers. And also what makes it worse for these uh, leaders is their commitment to doing the wrong, oblivious 
of the righteous Savior who is present with them. So they cannot see the Savior with them. So instead of them having to shift their energy to recognize the presence of the Savior, lo and behold, they spend their energies, their religious energies, doing things that do not have any spiritual value addition to their lives um, at all. One would have thought that these leaders, uh, with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, must now recognize the presence of God and possibly even say, shall we build uh, pyramids for the Lord Jesus? But no, they would not. They would not recognize the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would not even give him any due respect at all. And as we shall see later on, they in fact even went ahead and killed him. And yet, these same religious leaders appear to be spending their energies on the prophets who were killed by uh, their forefathers. Friends, I am saying we must be careful because religion, just religion activity, leads to window dressing. So we must be very, very careful with religious activities because the religious duties on themselves, when we get preoccupied with the religious duties themselves, what they do is they lead us to just window dressing. In other words, you know, when we get so preoccupied with just religion, what we begin to see is that we spend our energies doing the kind of things that these religious, religious leaders were doing. We spend our energies in activities which don't add at all to our spiritual welfare. So we must be very careful with religious commitments. Because just religious commitments without the life of Christ leads to window dressing. And this is what basically I'm, I'm saying to us here. And the Lord Jesus pronounces a war. War to you for being preoccupied with religious activities which don't at all give you life. Now, obviously, um, uh, that uh, um, must stretch uh, to us. Because I'm saying to myself that it's also possible for us to be so preoccupied, to be just proud of being a member of Riverside Chapel, religiously proud that I'm a member of Riverside Chapel. But it's also possible for us to just be preoccupied with the religious duties. The fact that I'm performing religious duties, or I am giving, or I am found at the funeral, or I am found supporting this and the other, that on its own becomes the ultimate purpose. I give to Riverside Chapel. I do this and the other. And yet, we perform these activities in such a way that the activities cloud out the Lord Jesus. You know, the activities shadow the Lord Jesus Christ and the activities become more pronounced. And we can't see the presence of God. And the Lord Jesus is saying, woe to you for being preoccupied with the window dressing. Religious activities can lead to unnecessary window dressing if these activities are not being driven by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's possible to be so preoccupied with religious activities, and you are so satisfied with religious activities. And the Lord is saying, well, if you get into that space, woe to you. And I'm suggesting to us that that surely must be very solemn. To be so preoccupied with religion and just to receive a woe to you. That sounds very solemn. 
Because like the Lord would say uh, again earlier on in the other chapters, he would say, look, um, uh, um, uh, you will say to me, this is what we did. And I'll say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I have nothing to do with you. Now, people were preoccupied with religious activities, and yet, without the, you know, um, uh, uh, without having to share that intimate and meaningful relationship with Christ. In other words, they were not doing activities because of the love of Christ. They were doing activities and hoping that activities will buy them uh, a relationship with Christ. And the Lord is saying, no, it is a waste of energy. War to you, he declares um, uh, to us. If we must for uh, if we must find ourselves in that space. Um, you know, um, I know this happens um, in other um, um, uh, jurisdictions or in other churches. Where, you know, what happens is if someone dies, uh, they die and they were fairly committed, uh, what happens is in their death, you now begin to remember them and to decorate them and to give them titles after their death. So you can transport their, uh, transport, uh, their title. If they were just uh, maybe um, something else, you can then call them a saint. You build the monument around them. You build names around them. And you begin to worship them. Um, and you do this at expense of your relationship with Christ. And the Lord is saying, look, that matters. least I have no interest in activities of that nature. Um, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, with regard to work. Uh, that Christians must work, yes. We must work. We mustn't be afraid of working for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But earlier before that, he says, by grace you've been saved, and through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast, you know, but however you are his workmanship. So we are saved by grace, and we cannot afford to hope that we will create our relationship with the Lord based upon the works. And this is what clearly the religious leaders of the day were preoccupied with. They were preoccupied with building the tombs and decorating the monuments and, and hoping that through that way they would get themselves a relationship with God. And the Lord is saying, woe to you for that wasted religious energy as it were. So the Lord, yes, expects us to work. But he expects us to work as a way of worshipping him. Um, as worship to him. To show our commitment to him, we then do the works. But we do not do the works hoping that the works then will create for us a relationship with the Lord. No, we do not do it that way. Um, in fact, uh, again, um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians and chapter 8, he, uh, he says something even more, um, um, uh, uh, more fearful. 1 Corinthians and chapter 8, listen to what he says with regard to the works uh, that we do. From verse 12 to 13, uh, this is what the Lord says. And thus... Um, 
First Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, let me just get my dimensions here. Um, just a second. Looks like I've lost my dimensions here. Uh, but what this, the Lord is saying in that verse is that be careful uh, how you build and with what material um, you build when you are doing uh, your works. Because your works will be tested. That's what the scripture is having to say. Your works will be tested. And so we ought to be careful how you build. Um, you know, and in this case, we are basically being invited uh, to, ensure, to ensure that if we are doing some work for the Lord, um, we must do it out of the love for him. And not having to do the work and hoping that the work itself will buy a relationship for us. So what I'm proposing to us is that religious um, you know, religious um, activities um, can uh, mislead us, um, um, uh, 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 as it were. So religious activities can mislead us into window dressing. So we ought to be careful with the religious activities that we bring before the Lord. That's the first observation that we see in verse 29. As we proceed on verse 30, this is what again the Lord says. Uh, verse 30, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. In the second place, I want to, the second place I want to suggest to us that we must also be careful because religious uh, activities makes us feel better than others. We must be careful with the hypocrisy of religious activities because Religious activity investment leads us to think we are far better than others. And this is exactly what was happening here to, uh, with the religious uh, leaders. Oh, observe with me what the religious uh, leaders say. They are saying, if we lived in the days of Jeremiah, for example, if we lived in the days of Zechariah, the days of Jeremiah when Jeremiah was being put in the dungeon. If we lived in the days of Daniel when Daniel was being put um, you know, uh, in the finance or in the den of lions. If we lived in those days. For us, if we lived in those days, they are saying, there is no way would have allowed what happened. In other words, for us, if we lived in those days and we saw Jeremiah was being taken to the dungeon, for us, we probably would have stood in the way and blocked uh, Jeremiah from being uh, killed. For us, we would have intervened. We would not have allowed Daniel and others to be thrown in the, den, in the den of lions. No, for us, we would have defended them. That's what basically they are saying. For us, we would have probably listened to the prophets and not only listened. For us, we would have also obeyed the prophets. No, for us, we would have done by far better than our forefathers. That's what they are saying. Ah, but how deceitful these thoughts were. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ pronounces a war uh, on them. Friends, what we are saying is this, that be careful with religious activities that lead you to begin to think you are far better than others. Be careful because religious activities can drive you to a point where you think you are by far better than others and you take pride in that feeling 
And the Lord is saying, if you get to that level, woe is you. If you think that you are by far better than others, woe is you because that is the birth of religiousness. So religiousness makes us feel we are by far better than others. Well, friends, as uh, um, you know, uh, 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 William was sharing um, uh, the testimony here, um, you know, one thing that hit me is I said to myself, the 39 years has been lived because of God. Because the Lord has helped them to get that far. If it was not for the Lord, they would not even have lasted for two years. Or six months. So therefore, the boast is in the Lord. Um, in the course of this week, I was uh, humbled um, uh, uh, on, on, on Thursday to a point where I could not sleep the whole night. I tossed and I said to myself, "Why had it? Why was it me that was greatly favored? Because in my mind, I'm saying they are." by far better people that must have been favored and be recognized instead of me. And basically what had happened was that, um, you know, there's a scheme, a pension scheme, uh, a private pension scheme being run in Zambia called Satunia Regina, which has been running for 30 years, and uh, they were celebrating the 30 years uh, of their existence. And uh, as they were celebrating, they um, thought they needed to recognize people that have contributed very highly to the scheme. Uh, in its 30 year of its existence. And so they recognized uh, men like uh, Mazoka, um, they recognized um, uh, men like Hamakoa, uh, they recognized um, um, uh, the other man from Deloitte who has been a partner there for uh, a long time. And lo and behold, my name also was recognized. And I said to myself, wait a moment, on what account? There are people that have done by far better than me. Why should my name be there? And then one sister reminded me, he said, but, but God. And I said, yes, this is only God. Because I, I do not see myself there. But God. So religious activities have the temptation of making us feel we are better than others. And the moment we get into that space where as you are living your life, you think you are better than others, please be reminded that that is a fatal religious activity and the Lord declares war on such kind of feelings. Sometimes we hear, you know, someone has uh, been um, bedeviled, as it were, with some unfortunate things. And when we hear they've been bedeviled with the unfortunate things, we say, but look, at least I am not like them. And the Lord is saying, Icona, that must not be your language. That must not be your language. Uh, your language must be but God. Uh, and not begin to think you are better than others. Because the sinners uh, or the sin flows through all of us in all our veins. Sin flows through us in all our veins. And we are not different at all um, uh, from, uh, from, from, from the others. 
You know, there are times when um, uh, you come, uh, you, you meet the young people, and they're saying to you, uh, you know what, I think you are blessed people, you know, because during your time, you know, um, uh, you know, the ladies were not like our ladies. I'm sure you have heard that language, eh? You know, your ladies were not like our ladies. Um, no, during your time, things were not as, uh, as, as, as terrible as they are during our time. Uh, you don't understand because, you know, during your time, uh, things were, and the list goes on and on. No, friends, what I'm saying to us is those are just religious activities. It is only the Lord himself uh, who must help us. If we had lived in the time of Christ, sometimes we think, we would have been by far better than Peter, sometimes we think. How on earth could Peter deny the Lord Jesus? He has been walking with the Lord Jesus for three years. He has seen God perform miracles. He has seen God on the mountain being transformed. He has heard the voice of God. How can Peter, surely how, how can he deny the Lord? Sometimes we say, and we sometimes put ourselves in that, in that shoes and we say, no, no, no. Me, if I was there, there is no way, absolutely there is no way that I would have denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us would even say, for me, I think I would have died with the Lord Jesus. There is no way I would have been like the apostles that lived with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us would say, but for me, if I was present during the time of the Lord Jesus, possibly I would have even carried the cross. I mean, I have lived with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years. I mean, just imagine you have lived with God. You have, uh, you know, uh, interacted with him at the best of the times. Who would think that you would betray him? Sometimes we think that way. But dear friends, we also could have just behaved like Peter. We would have, wouldn't have been different uh, from uh, Peter at all. So when we hear calamity has fallen on others, we must not rush to judge them. We must not frown upon them. We must not make those who have, uh, on whose um, uh, lives calamity has fallen object of scorn. Otherwise, the Lord Jesus Christ pronounces solemn war upon us. But rather, what I think the scripture is having to say to us in this passage, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians and chapter 5, this is what the scripture is having to say. Whilst religiousness leads to a sense of feeling, I am far better than them, Christianity at its height leads us to feel totally different. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 uh, to 5. Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you to be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. For let each one Examine his own work, and when, sorry, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to the other. 
That's Christianity. You will have reason to boast of yourself and not with regard to the other. But religion does the opposite. Religion rejoices in the four. Religion rejoices, you know, um, when it compares uh, one against the other. Uh, but we are being told in the scriptures that that must not be our conduct and behavior. Second Corinthians and chapter 10. Again, listen to the language of the scriptures. Second Corinthians and chapter 10 and verses 16 through to 18. So as to preach the gospel even to the region um, so as to preach the gospel even to uh, regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. There is a warning there. Not to boast of what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. For not he who commends himself approved, but he whom the Lord commends. So, boasting must be done, but we must boast only in the Lord. And what the scriptures are saying to us, dear friends, is, is that um, uh, religious duties and religious life as this deception um, of a, a language which is not God uh, at, at all. It, it says, had it not been, um, uh, had it been my time, I would not have behaved that way. If it was me, there is no way I would have behaved that way. But a Christian has a completely different language. The Christian would have to respond and say, had it not been for Christ, had it not been for him, um, I would have been like the other individual. In other words, the boast in Christ, uh, the boast as, uh, as Christians is that which we uh, find in Christ and him alone. Would say, you know, when the Lord has smiled upon me, and because the Lord has smiled upon me, this is the reason why I find myself in this state. Because I did not been for him, I would also have uh, been like everyone else. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ says, if your life is a life that lives with comparison of yourself, you are preoccupied with the comparison of yourself towards other. The Lord is saying, woe is you, because the comparison, the comparing compass must be myself and not uh, other uh, uh, yeah, human beings. So if at all you must boast, boast in the fact that I have made you to be what you are. Don't boast by looking at others and saying, no, because that one is like this. Me, I am a little better. So if you live your life in comparison, that's you are living your life to compare yourself to other Christians uh, who are sinners like you, um, you know, the Bible is saying, the Lord just is saying to us, war is you if that uh, becomes uh, your kind of habit. But there's something else that we pick from this, that one quickly. They said, one, consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered uh, the prophets. What the Lord is having to say to us is this, that, um, you know, when, when, when these religious leaders boasted and they said in the, in the uh, previous verse, 
this is what they say in the previous verse, uh, in verse 30, and, and said, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, and the Lord then reminds them um, uh, in verse 31, and he says, consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. In other words, the Lord is saying uh, that you also are children of murderers. You are murderers like them. When, we say, when you say to yourselves, you know, that um, uh, uh, um, uh, when you say to yourselves that if we have been living in the days of our fathers, the fact that you recognize yourselves as a product of them must remind you that you too are murderers. In fact, uh, that will be seen later on in, um, you know, um, uh, verses 34 through to verse uh, 36 when the Lord uh, talks about, uh, about his death. So you have the propensity to murder like your fathers. That's what the Lord is having to say to, uh, 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 to them. So the blood that your fathers had, the blood that murderous blood that your uh, forefathers had, flows through your veins. So don't you ever think that you are different uh, from them. That's basically what that verse is having to say to us. And this is where now, you know, the solemn war comes into uh, all of us. And the point that the verse is saying to us is that we are all Adamic of offsprings. We are all products and offsprings of Adam. And because we are products and offsprings of Adam, we all ourselves carry within us the propensity to murder. In other words, in the same way that the religious leaders carried within them that venom of sin, we also carry within ourselves the venom of sin. No wonder we also murder Christ in various ways. They murdered him physically, but we also murder the Lord Jesus Christ in various ways in our day-to-day -day dealings with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we murder the Lord Jesus Christ? We murder him when we fail to do that which he asks us to do. We betray him when we fail to do that which he asks us to do. Well, he says to us, go and preach the gospel, and we have no time. Are we not having to uh, betray the Lord Jesus Christ? How different are we? When he says to us, do this and we do not, how different do we think we are from these leaders? And he says, take heed because you may just be like them and woe to you. Dear friends, I know that in this month we've been announcing and even this afternoon there's an announcement of us having to go out. I am not sure how many of us will turn up uh, this afternoon for these evangelistic works. Probably out of us, maybe there will be two, three. If maybe the number will be four or five, that will be a record number. Some of us have never even turned up, not even once, for these evangelistic works. When Christ calls upon us to be involved in his work, we always and almost every time have a genuine excuse of things that keep us busy. Well, 
are we also not in the same shoes like these religious leaders? And the Lord is saying, he pronounces a solemn war on us. If we must relegate him, as it were, in our priorities, if we must relegate him as a second class in what we do, he is saying, what unto you for that activity? Because you carry the blood of Adam in you, the blood of sin. You have the propensity to sin. You carry that venomous um, uh, sin within you that causes you to constantly uh, live in disobedience uh, with me. And he says, woe unto you. I think this is, this is the reason why I'm calling it uh, the most solemn war that the Lord pronounces upon us. But thankfully, in verse 32, he turns around. In verse 32, he turns around. And as it were, fulfills uh, that uh, scripture which says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. In verse 32, he remembers mercy. And listen to what he says in verse 32. Fill up then the measure of the guilty of your forefathers. Fill up the measure of the guilty of your uh, fathers. Uh, part of my thinking to this uh, statement or to this uh, verse is this. That the Lord is saying to us, um, can you please take stock? Can you please pause for a moment? And see how you measure up with your forefathers. Perhaps there can be a turning point. Examine yourself just in case. The religious scene of window dressing. Examine yourself just in case the religious feel better factor in you is adorning your neck. Just in case you are in that state, the Lord is saying. Pause for a moment. And see, just in case, examine yourself. The Lord in this verse invites us to measure ourselves against the guilty of our forefathers, to measure ourselves against the guilty of Adam and make amends. He, in fact, he calls with passion in verse 37 when he, he laments over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often... How often have, you know, uh, sought after you? Listen to this language. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. Who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often have wanted to gather you children together? The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. I have sought to gather you, he says. I am preoccupied to get you back to myself. Examine yourself just in case these religious window dressing habits are in you. Just in case these religious comparison feelings of being better than others are in you. Examine yourself just in case. And having examined yourself, uh, get back to me. Because I am interested in you. That's what he's saying in verse 7. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, I am interested in you just like a hen gathers its cheeks. When it calls its cheeks, it sounds out its, 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 its voice. You just have to be uh, a trainee farmer like myself, and as you observe, um, you know, the, 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 the hens, 
when there's a bit of danger, the hen would call out. There's a special sound the hen makes. And immediately the chicks, upon that sound, would come rushing. And they rush into the mother's wings. And the mother opens up its wings like a plane, as it were. And as soon as they come in, then it covers them off. And protects them from whatever danger it is. The mere voice shouts out. And the chicks come under the wings. And the Lord is saying, can you please hear me? You carry, you carry within you that venomous sin of Adam. I am calling out to you to examine yourself. Can you hear my voice and come be protected under my wings? He's saying to us, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, I have sought after you like a hen would seek after its chicks. The Lord is interested in having to shield us. Um, um, and, and even when he pronounces, he makes this, he makes this pronouncement of you know, a solemn war on us. He still calls out and says, look, even in Midras, I remember mercy. In other words, what the Lord is saying is, you know that you carry that venomous sin of Adam in you. In the light of the war that he makes, in the light of his um, uh, um, uh, 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 pronouncement that he makes, the Lord is saying, please come. Please come. <coughs> and then quickly he turns round. And, you know, from verse 3 to verse 6, he turns round and says, but wait a moment, if you don't come, if you do not examine yourself to a point where you can turn around, he then unleashes the strongest language that has ever come from the lips of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this language that he dishes out from verse 3. You serpents, he says. You brood of vipers, he says. How shall you escape the sentence of hell? You serpents! How shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets, wise men, scribes, some of them, you will kill and crucify and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that upon you may fall the guilt of the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the sons of uh, Zerachah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Listen, listen to this very strong language. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Solemn war on the children of Israel on that day, but it's solemn war on us as well. If religiousness, religious dressing is our preoccupation, he's saying to us, may the wrath, you know, two things that actually come out from this, and we'll just quickly look at them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, with these two things, he makes a final doom proclamation. He says, if you do not turn from your sin, if you remain in your sin, you do not take a critical examination of yourself, but remain um, still stuck in your sin. He then says, war is your. In other words, he pronounces judgment upon that human being that rejects him. 
you know, as you look at uh, this language that comes out from verse 33 to verse 36, you see that this, I call it the epicenter of the wars that the Lord Jesus makes. The very height of the wars that the Lord Jesus Christ makes. It's an epic center because you cannot afford to brush it. You can't afford to brush it because of two reasons, and we quickly will wrap up, we'll close. You can't afford to brush what the Lord is saying because in the first place, this is what comes out from him. He says, if you must ever, ever smile and ignore this war, the last war, number eight, which he makes uh, from verse 29, he says, if you must ignore, listen to this one, if you must ignore, may the guilty of the righteous blood of all those that were uh, murdered as it were on earth, and he uh, gives uh, the names, uh, we have the names in the scriptures, from Abel to Zechariah, he says, may the blood of all those that labored be upon you if you must not respond, if you must not examine your heart. So may the blood of all those who died in innocence be upon you. Again, this is similar to what Jeremiah says. Um, uh, he says, but if you, man of God, um, do not go out and warn, may the blood of those that you have not warned be upon you. And yet, if you go and warn and people do not respond, may their own blood be upon themselves. Now, in this case, he's saying, if you do not respond to the war that he has made to us, in other words, if you must decide to remain in your sin, May the blood of all those that innocently have died proclaiming Christ be on you. In other words, may that guilty be surely put on you. Now, that is very, very solemn. If you understand the context and the weight of what the Lord is saying, that is surely, in my mind, surely solemn. That the blood of those that have uh, been murdered as innocent um, uh, uh, people, ah, no, not the prophets. We are talking about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ be on you. May you be guilty of your own sin so that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is not atoning for you. That's what basically the Lord is saying. So if we must ignore this solemn warning, may the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ not avail for you. May you be guilty of your own sin. And may the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ stand there to accuse you. That's what the scripture is saying. I am saying to myself, friends, this for me is solemn. It's the most solemn statement that came from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. May my blood be on you if you do not repent. Well, you have heard the gospel. If you remain in your sin, May the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ not avail for you. Now, that is a very serious matter. Uh, I don't know how else I can explain it, but I look at it as a very solemn uh, pronouncement. But so, uh, pronouncement number two, 
is the fact that, you know, the one who makes those words, the one who makes that pronouncement is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, it's not coming from the lips of men. It's coming from the lips of God. It's coming from the one who has the final say. It's coming from the one who has the keys to the bottomless pit. So the one with the keys to the bottomless pit is saying, if you do not repent, if you do not reflect, if you do not rethink about the war that has been pronounced upon you, I am locking you forever. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one with the key, which when he locks, no one else can get it off from him. And then he says, how then shall you escape? How shall you escape if you must ignore these things? Friends, I want to say to us, this is indeed solemn. It's a solemn, final, solemn war that no one of us must ever ignore. Just in case we are preoccupied with religious duties, the Lord is not interested in your religious duties alone. He is interested in your heart, your commitment to him. That is his major interest that he, is, um, uh, he has in you. Your heart which is warmed up to him. Your heart which must love him dearly. Um, 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 and, and he would say to us in the scriptures, you shall love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is his major interest. He's not so much interested in seeing you, you know, uh, uh, perform activities one or the other. He's interested in your heart. To what extent is your heart warmed up to Christ? That is what is on the table. To what extent is your heart warmed up to Christ? To what extent? This is a challenge that is thrown before us here. And he's saying, look, fine, just in case your heart is cold. In case your heart is cold. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, come, come. Just in the same way that the hen would look for its chicks. Come. Hear my voice and come. That's what he's saying to us. Friends, I suggest again to us, this is the most solemn war that came from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not... The war that any one of us must dare to ignore. Oh, let me ask a question. Are you a Christian? To each one of us gathered here. Do you know um, uh, surely whether you are a Christian? How are you standing in relationship with the Lord this morning? If the Lord opens up your heart and then we have to read your heart on the screen, what kind of message would we be reading? Flowing from your heart. To what extent do you love him? If you opened up your heart and we were to read your contents of your heart on the screen, would you be running away from church? Would you be saying, hey, before my name is, let me run away. Or you would sit and say, yes, Lord, please display it. To what extent do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? That's basically what he's saying to us in this text. He's saying, I'm not interested in your religious duties. Yes, you can be committed, yes. You mentioned your blood, yes. But I'm more interested in your soul, I'm more interested in your heart. So to what extent are we committed to him? Friends, may the Lord himself speak to us in these words and probably help us to make a serious examination and see where we stand uh, in relationship uh, with him. May he help us to seriously 
reflect uh, for our good and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat>